pretty, the behavioral issues started significantly after my mom's passing. And I can remember just not, just not having my mother around for guidance and support and her love and what she brought into this world. I, I felt lost and I am certain that most children who experience this will go through a period of time where they, that is their way of expressing grief. That was my guest on today's show, Danielle Chesney, who, as a teenager, lost her mother to breast cancer. And today, uh, as an adult, she has formed a nonprofit to turn her personal experience of tragedy and loss into helping and supporting children who lose their parents. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. and you hosted by Toby Jenkins a licensed marriage and family therapist serving Central Kentucky each week Toby will bring you a show with a topic related to mental health relationships or self-improvement the name of the show paradigm comes from that moment in the therapy process when a profound shift in perspective happens for a client an epiphany sometimes accompanied by physical reaction that leads them to look at things differently and make significant steps towards improving and enriching their lives. You're listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins, and today I'm really uh, honored to have my guest today. So many of you know that um, I lectured at the University of Kentucky for a number of years. And it was really fulfilling from the standpoint that um, when you get a chance to touch the lives of your students and they come back and they tell you, or you see the awesome things that they go do. So my guest today is one of those students. Um, she took both of my classes at the University of Kentucky and now is a graduate, as of 2019, a graduate with a degree in family sciences and a minor in community leadership and development. My guest today has started an organization, nonprofit, Young Hearts Kentucky. Um, she started this organization in October 2021, which is also Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which I'm sure we will tie in the significance of. Oh, but I guess I should tell you my guest's name, which is Danielle Chesney. Um, so welcome to the show, Danielle. And um, we've got a lot to get into, but um, let's start with um, what is Young Hearts Kentucky? Yeah, so um, first and foremost, I wanted to thank you for making a positive impact in my life, both academically and as an individual. I enjoyed my time in your class, um, really enjoyed learning the theories, and you just, you really made such a big difference in my life. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so Young Hearts is a mentorship program designed to help children overcome the grief of losing a parent. And we believe that bereaved children in our community, um, you know, deserve to have a safe place to grieve through peer support, mentorship and connection. And this is a program that has been something that I've wanted to do for so long now. And I feel that this is a really good time in my life to finally start this program um, to make a difference in the lives of many children. That's awesome. Um, you know, um, so a oh, ton of things I want to ask you, but um, so you've got a personal story behind Young Heart. So um, tell us a little bit about your motivation for starting Young Hearts, your personal motivation? Yes. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I lost my mom at the age of 13, um, two weeks into my freshman year of high school. And, you know, that was a very pivotal point in the developmental period of my life. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I spent 
you know, most of my seventh and eighth grade year, um, going through her chemo treatments. And, um, as most people can say that experience this, um, know that there is a change in the family, um, whenever there's an illness or a sickness or, um, trauma or anything that changes in a family, um, can be very devastating for anyone, for a child. And so, you know, I'm just, you know, it's, it's really interesting to be sitting here today because I really started processing my mom's death at a later point. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, you, you know, I never really grieved her passing. And so it's really interesting to be talking about this because, you know, at this point in my life, I'm able to answer that question of, of my story and how that happened. And, um, you know, my mom was the emotional provider for my family. She, you know, provided that support and encouragement. And my dad is very logical and he's very, um, very work-driven and I respect him so much for that. And my mom was just there for us. Um, and so, you know, losing her in itself was just, um, a change. I, um, I can start by kind of sharing a little bit about the passing, um, yeah, you know, I was kind of curious with um, with the diet. You know, cancer is um, their words can't describe the process of seeing someone fight cancer, and so your mother's fight with cancer was how was a couple of years. Yeah, it was about two years, if I can remember. Yeah, and so what, you know, if you go back to what you were, you know, what that was like for you at the time. Um, I mean, it's, it's cancer is so unpredictable. Um, I'm going to imagine you were optimistic that your mom would live through cancer and be fine through most of that. Yeah, I actually remember specifically her on, um, she was actually talking on the phone and that's how I found out that she was diagnosed. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, I was standing and I was, she didn't know that I was in the kitchen, but, um, I was just standing there and I, you know, overheard her talk about her diagnosis and I went into her bedroom and I laid down with her and I asked her, you know, are you going to make, you know, are you going to live? And she, you know, promised me that she would. And so, you know, it's, I was just so young, um, mm-hmm. very young. I, and I, you know, she was a fighter. And so I'm sure she had a very optimistic view, but I remember that moment laying by her side and asking her that question. And she did tell me, and she said, you know, it's, we're, we're going to get it all under control. Um, you know, and I expressed to her, um, you know, my love for her, sure. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so her cancer treatments proceeded shortly after that. And, uh, I'm, now yes. traditional treatment is like chemo and radiation. Is that the route she went for mastectomy? Yes. Um, yes. Um, and as well as chemo treatment, um, you know, and I can kind of talk about that as well. I, you know, remember most of my seventh and eighth grade year was, you know, um, traveling with her. We actually traveled to uh, Modesto, California, where she would receive her chemo treatments. And that was a big part of those two years. And, you know, that was difficult. I was young. I was not sure how to process her sickness. At the time I was training several hours a week as a competitive gymnast. And that was a very demanding um, in itself. And so there was a lot of changes going on in my life. And, you know, looking back, I watched her go through different periods 
of, of sickness. And I'm yep. sure that most children can say the same thing, that it's, it's a, it's a declining process. Yes. Yes. And it's hard to watch someone that you love deteriorate that way. Um, it's, I mean, it's hard enough as an adult and I can only imagine it's even more difficult as a teenager, 13, 14 year old, um, with it. Um, so how were you able to still focus on gymnastics, which, which was a passion and the normal stuff that teenagers are engaged in schoolwork? I mean, is your schoolwork, gymnastics, all that stuff suffer as you were kind of going through this process? Yeah, you know, gymnastics, I was just so busy with training and I, you know, remember, um, there was, you know, I would say one great thing about this, this sport is that I learned how to actually manage my time. Um, you know, it was chemo treatments, practice, coming home, homework, going to bed and waking up early and doing it all over again. And eventually, you know, after my level nine year, I realized that I should probably give this sport up and focus. Yeah. And focus on your mom. Yeah. The changes that were going on in my family and, you know, it was 13 years of that sport and I was ready to, um, focus on a new change in my family. And it was just so much emotionally, um, as an athlete, and I'm sure all athletes can contest that it is difficult managing training and, and, um, issues. You know, you, you talked about some of the changes that were taking place, especially, you know, as you've laid it out for me, your mom being the emotional leader and kind of a, the spiritual leader in your house and chemo probably having a huge impact on her being able to do that or being able, yeah, being able to rely on that. So um, what were some of the significant changes you saw in your immediate family as you guys were wrestling through her cancer treatment? So, you know, my dad, um, he was actually starting to grieve during that process. And I remember thinking, how stressed he is to, you know, manage his career on top of his wife and having to raise his two kids. And I, this is, this is all introspection. I mean, I I can't tell you that I can't tell you that at 13, I, I saw this, you know, but, but as, and I want to, I want to preface that, that this is all looking back into the Mm -hmm. past. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't have the maturity level to understand what was, was happening, but I will say that a significant change was all of us grieving. We all Mm -hmm. grieved, even my mom, I think she knew that, I think she knew she just wasn't going to make it. And I believe that, you know, it, it was, it was just such a grieving period. I remember my dad sitting us down and he said to my brother and I, you know, there's nothing left that the doctors can do. Um, It's probably about two weeks, three weeks. And hearing that as a child, this is now leading into my passion, that Mm -hmm. moment right there. Wow. Was the moment that, I mean, so this is over, all of this is Mm. over, you know, and, and, and this is the, this is the passion that I have is children that are left with this emotional burden. Oh yeah. Um, And so, um, it, it, it was, it was interesting to see everyone's role in this. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're up against our first commercial break. Um, 
My guest today is a former student, Danielle Chesney, and founder of Young Hearts Kentucky. And um, we're talking through, um, you know, the purpose of Young Hearts Kentucky and Danielle's personal passion stemming from her own experience of losing her mother as a teenager. So um, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break. This is Toby Jenkins, founder of Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy is a proud sponsor and supporter of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. At Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy, we work with couples, families, and individuals walking with you through life's challenges and transitions. You can find out more about Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and request an appointment through telehealth or in person at www.jenkinscft.com. Dot com or by calling 859-806-0093. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I am extremely happy to uh, have my guest on today, Danielle Chesney. And she's the founder of Young Hearts Kentucky, an organization that seeks to support uh, children who lose their parents through uh, mentorship and counseling. And so before the break, we were talking about Danielle's experience, um, going through the process of her mother having breast cancer, going through chemo radiation, and it was a really slow deterioration, which is um, the experience of a lot of people and their loved ones with cancer. And so, um, you know, in my, in my clinical work, I, I've worked with a number of clients who who have lost a parent and there are a lot of variables and there are a lot of significant moments. And so several of the clients I've worked with over the last couple of years have either found their parent who's been deceased. And that has been really the crux of our therapy and our work together, because that has a significant impact Um, or kind of like what you were describing before the break, um, knowing that that was coming and you have a, a window of when your parents, when your parent is going to pass away. So for you uh, and your experience with your family, um, your mother got to a point where it was terminal and the doctors couldn't do anything else. And so at the age of 13, what did that mean for you at the time? You know To be honest, looking back, I am not quite sure how I even process that news. I, and and when I think about other children who received that news, I, I, I want to say that it is okay to not know what to do. It is okay to not know how to accept that news or to accept that your parent is going to pass away. And, you know, for so long, I've been hard on myself, you know, what could you have done? What could you have done better? How could you have responded better? But I believe that hearing that news from my dad, I I don't, I, I can't express to you how I handled it. Um, you know, I think it was just something that I just said, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is, this is where we are. And mm-hmm. this is where we are as a family. And I am going to say goodbye to my mother and I am going to continue living. I don't know how I handle that. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, something you said, um, earlier was that, um, you were pretty sure that you didn't grieve the passing of your mother then, but you grieved later in your twenties. So if you weren't grieving, then how would you describe how you coped with the passing of your mother as a teenager? Yeah. So after her passing, you know, leading up to her passing. So it was about a two week period that we had left together. And I um, went to visit her 
you know, after school and um, spent time with her. I said goodbye the night before she passed away. And so I, you know, held her hand and I expressed my love to her and I, you know, thanked her for what she had done for me and for my brother and for our family. I remember sitting right next to her and I just started to process that. In fact, I mean, and that's to be very honest. And, you know, so, you know, the next morning, my father, you know, woke up and my dad told us the news. And when he told us the news that she was actually no longer with us, that was when I didn't, if I could look back and tell you again, I didn't even know how to process that. And so, you know, speaking, you know, speaking now into, you know, my freshman, sophomore, junior and senior year, I can really touch on, um, you know, there were some behavioral issues that were happening with me and um, I started to act out my anger and act out my feelings. I wasn't sure how to handle the loss. How does a child possibly understand the surviving parent's grief? Oh yeah. How, (laughs) yeah. How, how does a young child understand the grief of the surviving parent? Yeah. It, it's, it can be extremely complicated. Um, one of uh, my clients I've worked with who, you know, working with, I, I always, I think I say this quite a bit. I learn a, I probably learn a lot more from my clients. They learn from me when they, when, you know, when they, when I do therapy, but um, I've seen this in more than one case where in the aftermath of the passing of a parent, um, the, the surviving parent leaves and there's gotta be something to it. But like you're saying, it's a complicated grieving process. And so you said something else that I've thought about quite a bit, which is you then went back to school. And so, um, you know, we were chit-chatting before we started uh, this interview. Uh, I was just thinking through not my experiences, but my kids have also had classmates who've lost parents. And so kids don't know how to talk about it, or actually they probably choose not to talk about it or pretend like it didn't happen. So I'm assuming with you, everyone knew when you went back to school, but no one was talking about it. So is that, is that the case? Yeah. You know, a lot of my mom was so loved by the community. She was actively involved. She was a teacher or a substitute teacher. Um, and so, you know, she was also oh. able to stay at home with us. She was very involved in our church, heavily involved with Bible studies and gatherings and um, just being a, just being a, a, a well-known substitute teacher in our community. She was involved in much, many other activities as well as a basketball player in college. And so she just touched so many people's lives. And so the community around me, you know, that knew my mom talked about it. Um, not in depth, but just, I'm sorry for your loss. Okay. And, you know, was that, I mean, I know we're looking way back. Was that enough? Did it annoy you? Because there's also a perspective on this too, where um, perhaps as um, in part of the grieving process, you don't want to talk about it either, but then you keep encountering people that, um, so I don't know, it's a, it's a complicated question because you could also then encounter people that keep bringing it up. <laughs> and so, and then that could be, yes, that could be too much too. I think if, if, and this is where the passion of young hearts comes in, you know, is when I lost my mom, I truly did not have the support that I needed to get through her passing from the community, from 
the support um, of, you know, community support programs, uh, you know, and peers as well. And, you know, that is where this passion lies is from my personal experience of that, you know, and I know you're, you said your kids lost two, you know, two parents, correct? Yeah, that classmates. Your, your kids lost the classmates. Lost their classmates, lost their parents. And, um, you know, on our end of it, we, uh, my wife and I um, wanted to create, wanted to keep communication open. And, um, and in particular, our kids wanted to do something. Um, and so um, uh, even I think with one of them, uh, we made meals. And so it took meals to the family. And so, and it's one of those things like um, when something like that happens, you don't always have the words to know exactly what to do, but you want to do something. <laughs> and so it, it felt right at the time, but it's just still one of those things where I, I think collectively we don't deal with it very well. And so I, I know for both of, um, both of my kids, because the first time was in elementary school, I think for them, that was one of those um, moments where I realized, you know, mom and dad, this kind of thing could happen because this, uh, this one classmate of my daughter, um, um, her classmate's mom uh, passed away in a freak camping accident. Um, and so it was, um, and so, um, and kind of like you, the kids, her class, I mean, she was in sixth or fifth grade. Um, her, 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 her classmates didn't know how to interact. They didn't know how to support. And then they were also having in their experience too. My classmate just lost his mom and they were aching and hurting for their classmate too. And so no one knew exactly what to do. And so it was, um, it was challenging. And so, you know, we'll probably touch on this later is that um, this probably happens more frequently than we think about. And probably with COVID out of the 800,000 people who have to date um, died from COVID, a good chunk of those are probably parents that have some, uh, small kids. So, so, um, so, you know, we're up against another break. Uh, we're up, actually up against one minute insight. Um, today, my guest is Danielle Chesney. She's the founder of Young Hearts Kentucky, former student. I'm just babbling all over myself because I'm so happy for the work you're doing. I know it comes from a place of yeah. loss and grief, but um, this is going to do a lot of uh, good in the world and for young kids. So we'll be right back after one minute insight. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships in You, and this is Woman at Insight. You know, I've been talking over the last couple of weeks uh, about my insights working with clients on creating and maintaining new and healthy habits. And a lot of this stuff not only applies to my clients, but also applies to me. One of the things I find that is that accountability to others when it comes to creating and maintaining new habits uh, tends to be really, really beneficial. And what I mean by that is that many of us will engage in an activity or behavior if we know other people are expecting us or relying on us to do so. So in other words, especially when it comes to me, when it comes to my running, I know that I will not, the couch won't win if I know that I have to post a run to my virtual group. Now, with that said, technology is an incredible way to create accountability because many of us, while we can't be in person or do things, do these things with other people, we can use social media, texting, and other technology to create that personal environment that holds us accountable to keep these habits going. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. One of the biggest stresses that we encounter is money. Money issues strain our family life, create stress in our relationships, and can provoke serious anxiety and depression. And many don't know where to turn to get relief. 
That's where The Darius Norman Show comes in. The Darius Norman Show airs daily on WTTA FM 101.2 from 1 to 2 p.m. Darius Norman is a certified credit and financial counselor and author of Rewriting Financial Rules. It's his objective to empower others with educational tools and services to assist them in taking control of their financial and credit issues. Tune in to The Darius Norman Show on WTTA FM 101.2 and you can follow him on Twitter at The Darius Norman Show. Uh, we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Today, we're touching on a really tough topic, which is losing a parent as a child. My guest is Danielle Chesney. She's the founder of Young Hearts Kentucky, and she lost her mother to breast cancer as a 13 year old in the ninth, ninth grader, eighth grader. I lose track of Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, we, we were we were talking about before the break. Um, there's definitely a role for various forms of support, because um, like you talked about this key moment when your mother's diagnosis became terminal, that would have been a great uh, place for intervention, not just for you, but for your whole family, the whole system, which is typically absent. And you alluded to, uh, you know, being angry after and acting out after. And that too, or then would have been a good time for intervention. And so these losses can be extremely complicated, extremely difficult. And especially when everybody's grieving and the grief process is not, I mean, it's bad enough when you're grieving alone and it's not linear, but then when you're grieving with others that are also grieving and you're all in different, different parts of the grieving cycle. And so, um, the anger that you talked about, uh, I have also seen, um, in turn, and that shows up in acting out. I've also seen, um, OCD. And so if, uh, in OCD, meaning, um, and, and one way I like to think about OCD, especially when you've had a loss or a survivor of trauma and you haven't had control, OCD can show up as a method of control. So whether it's hand washing, checking locks over and over again, um, I mean, it can show up. Everything has to be in, a, in its place. I mean, there's a whole list of, uh, of OCD behaviors. And so, so I guess... I want to emphasize out of that, um, if you're in a position or a situation with loved ones, especially children, that um, there are multiple points where getting professional help is definitely uh, a must. And so um, so these behavioral things, um, it's a natural outcome of the grieving process, especially when it's unprocessed or there's no help going through it. So outside of anger for you, um, what were some of the other biggies as a teenager? I think, you know, for me, I have always been a sensitive child. And I think, and I believe that when my mom passed away, that sensitivity, you know, grew even more. I was very sensitive to what was around me. And even just the slightest mention of, my mom's name or her passing, anything that was related to her or loss or sadness just brought me into an emotional state. And it was, it was behavior, you know, the behavior started, you know, pretty, the behavioral issues started significantly after my mom's passing. And I can remember just not, just not having my mother around for guidance and support and, um, her love and what she brought into this world. I, I felt lost and I am certain that most children who experience this will go through a period of time where they, that is their way of expressing grief. That is their way of processing their loss of their parent. And 
or parents even. And so whatever that looks like to a child is how they are processing. And I really want to touch on that because it, it's okay that a child is acting out in a certain way. Um, that is their way of, of grieving. And, 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 and they're going through what any, you know, person, an adult would, you know, but they're children. And so I, I started to see a lot of, you know, behavioral issues throughout high school um, significantly. You know, um, one of the people I know that also lost a parent fairly young is my dad. And my, my, if you met my dad, I would say, so he's 75 now. And um, anytime we get together, um, he's become way more talkative and he tends to recycle some of the same stories. So I've heard a lot of these stories several times, especially in the last 10 years. But one of them in particular is um, he too was angry. And, and if you met him now, you'd say, man, there's no way this, this man had a hair trigger anger button because he's so chill and laid back. But um, <laughs> he tells stories of um, like being a teenager. And if anybody said anything, um, he was quick. And it wasn't until later that he connected the dots. And so now I didn't know, I didn't have the language or the kind of the framing for it uh, until fairly recently, but it's, it's that sense of abandonment that. Um, Absolutely. And so we tend to think of abandonment as it has to be an, it has to be a, an in, it has to be a voluntary thing. This person in, purposely left me, but abandonment can happen and often happens when the, when the leaving is involuntary. And so and that's kind of the, the thing, at least uh, for my for my dad. Um, I put those things together after, you know, going into therapy. But um, not only that. So I, I think I used the example of uh, earlier that sometimes the other parent leaves, too. So you've got double abandonment. And that was the situation with my dad. Essentially, um, his father passed away. Um, my grandmother shortly after that, um, basically had her brother raised by dad and a couple of his siblings along with their bunch of kids. So he was an outsider with that family and my grandmother, and this is kind of the, the thing you did in the fifties and sixties, uh, in South Carolina, she went to New York to be like a housekeeper and mate. And that was a common, she left him. She left him and went to New York. Um, she left him and uh, two of his siblings to be raised by her brother and his wife. Um, and there, there's way more I could tell you, <laughs> tell you about that. But, um, but I have, uh, I have kind of faint memories of my dad losing it as a kid. And the, I didn't put the dots together for that until much later. And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did that. Um, and he had to do a lot of work on himself, um, as an adult. And if you met him, if you ever talked to him, you'd say, yeah, there's no way he's the most chill. And he's always been that way, just super calm, laid back, but that hasn't always been a story. So my dad could have used some intervention. (laughs) (laughs) I think we could all use some intervention, all of us. Every, every single person. Yes. And so, you know, the other part too, um, is that there are also a lot of variables in how, uh, children lose their parents. And so your loss of your mother, um, was through a battle of disease. Some of the other things I see, um, are, um, like accidents, like the one I described with my, uh, my daughter's classmate back in elementary school, um, people taking their own lives and uh, people dying suddenly of very, of, you know, many various ways. And so all of those um, present different opportunities or have 
you know, different setup for uh, intervention, but also complicates the loss. And yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you touch on your dad's experience with anger and the surviving parent. what I want to refer as, you know, checking out and, um, you know, with anger specifically, I think that anger is very normal and it can come out at different periods in one's life. It could be right after, it could be years later, it could be, you know, in the middle of, or before the passing. I mean, there's, there's, um, different times for that, but, you know, my dad really did what he could. And, but with the, with the checking out, what I mean with that is just not emotionally there and, you know, focused on work and very focused on, on that, which is, and I'm sure you have studied this, that men tend to use work as an outlet, something to focus on. And really? I'm sure you understand that. <laughs> yeah. That just kind of goes into <laughs> the different ways that we grieve the same loss. And it, it can be super, super complicated. Um, but, you know, um, you know, we'll talk more about uh, systems of support and the prevalence of children who lose parents when we come back after the break. You're listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins. And today, my guest is a former student, Danielle Chesney. We'll be right back. You've got mail. You've got mail. Today's listener mail is from Rebecca. Rebecca writes, I've suspected for a long time my husband has been cheating on me. I've confronted him, but he denies it. He often acts funny with his phone and freaks out when I just look over, over his shoulder when he's on his phone. He continues to say, I'm just paranoid, but I know I am not. How do I know if he's really cheating? So if you were Rebecca's therapist, how would you answer this? Now, also keep in mind, remember back to our class, FAM 360. <laughs> Yes. All <laughs> I know it was therapy. a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so as a therapist, I would probably offer a solution, which is to sit down and have a face-to-face communication uh, or, you know, vulnerable talk, I guess, open communication, mm-hmm. more importantly, with her husband and um, just how crucial that talk can be, um, expressing that she is, you know, expressing that she is concerned, um, that her husband is cheating and, you know, when those situations happen, it is so important to express those feelings. Yes. Mm -hmm. And let your spouse know that this is something that is, you know, something that you're feeling. Um, if we're going to relate it to your class, I would say using certain techniques. Oh, yes. Yeah. What kind of techniques? Oh, it's been a while. (laughs) It's been too long. Um, Help me out, Toby. Oh, you are struggling very well. (laughs) No, I know it's good. Open communication. Open communication is number one (laughs) in any marriage, in any relationship. It is so important to have that. I I think, okay, I have a solution. I have a solution. I think that the husband should reassure Rebecca and he should provide certain reassurances to her that he is not cheating that's pretty good now you you was it 2017 or 18 so that's pretty good from pulling stuff up from three four years ago that's pretty good i think cheating is something that everyone is suspicious of everyone is suspicious of cheating but i think um i mean we studied it 
So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, that's good. That's really good. There are a lot of variables. That, that is a good I've never answer. Been married. I've never been married before, <laughs> but I, I'm sure that that situation will happen. And I think open communication and um, providing a certain amount of um, support and, and reassurance is, is the best. No, that's really good. You know, um, it, it is something that is easier to do these days with as much uh as much as much communication we have with our cell phones and through, you know, uh, social media. And so I can't tell you how many times uh, therapy sessions start with some type of screenshot. Look at what he or she did. And so um, this would be controversial, but I agree with what you said. The communication is important. Empathy is very important and taking ownership is very important. Um, and empathy from the standpoint that if your partner suspects you're cheating, then there's an emotion under that. And we need to use empathy to connect on that emotion. So separately, what's controversial is that when there's been a breach of trust, and there's many, many things that go into a breach of trust, any proof or reassurance that you can be trusted or that the trust is still there is really important. So I'm a fan of um, sharing passwords to your phone, and whenever you get that that notion or inkling that something's going on, um, your partner should show you. And people often say, no, that's I'm not doing that. But in doing that, every time that there's nothing going on, it provides that reassurance. So absolutely. And I think too, you know, it's it's something that happens, and um, it's so easy in our society today. And I think building that trust and connection, and if there's at any point that a spouse is, you know, having feelings or in a situation that they shouldn't be, I believe that it is so crucial to be open with your spouse and to absolutely and to sit down and to have that open communication. It is it's so important. And, um, once that is built, I think that it alleviates a lot of tension between couples. So yeah. see, I still remember everything that I learned from your <laughs> class. Ah, that's humbling. Well, thanks again. And Rebecca, I hope we helped you. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with more paradigm insights into relationships and you with Toby Jenkins. And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins. Today, my guest is Danielle Chesney, uh, founder of Young Hearts Kentucky. And so, um, you know, we've been talking through uh, Danielle's experience of losing a parent and the places where intervention would have been extremely helpful. And that's that's the hole that Danielle, through Young Hearts Kentucky, is looking to play in the role of children who lose a parent. You know, the, the other thing is kind of interesting about, well, there are many things that are interesting about this, is that um, losing a parent is probably more, um, happens more frequently than most of us probably think. Because, you know, we were talking before, just, uh, you know, with my own dad. And if you talk about before 20, I think my mom's dad passed away before she was 20 as well. Um, but in the lives of my children, they've had multiple classmates who have lost, um, lost a parent. So statistically, annually in the United States, 1.5 million children will lose one or both parents, 1.5. Um, nationally, it's one in seven before the age of 20. And then the state of Kentucky, it's one in 10. And so it didn't take me too long to go through my you know, my social Rolodex of people I know, and then realize, holy cow, um, I do know quite a few people who, uh, who've lost a parent and um, as a teenager or younger. And so um, there's a tremendous opportunity for support for this community of young people. And so, um, you know, with that, school 
schools would tend would, from my perspective, might be a good place for intervention as well. Not only for, you know, we we're talking earlier around the anger and this then reintegrating back into school. And your peers don't know what to say to you. Your teachers may not know what to say to you or how to help. And so it can probably be pretty isolating at the same time. Um, so, um, so yeah, so there's a tremendous uh, opportunity here to, uh, to provide support and help. All right, I imagine you're not surprised by these statistics, Danielle. I'm not surprised. I believe that this happens often, you know, more often than we think. And, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm really not. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other wrinkle that I don't think we've touched on either, um, you know, on, on this end of, uh, of COVID, there's been a lot of parents lost. And if not parents, caregivers, um, out of the you know eight hundred thousand people who have died from COVID, so um, I mean, that's probably going to bump those numbers we just uh, just talked about up quite a bit. Yeah, it has actually. I've been doing research these past few weeks, and even a professor, Dr. Julie Zimmerman, who is at the university. Kentucky, her and I sat down and went over statistics and found the numbers, you know, increasing significantly. And, you know, with COVID and with other losses as well, cancer, um, other sicknesses. And on top of that, we also found that um, the number of grandparents that are raising their grandchildren and, you know, these kids are losing their guardians, their grandparents at a very young age. And so, um, you know, bereavement is something that I want to bring awareness to this, this specific topic needs to be highlighted more in so many communities across, I mean, across over the, all around the world, but (laughs) I, (laughs) I think that this is so crucial and it is happening so often, um, you know, around us every day. And, you know, one in one in 10 children in the state of Kentucky will experience the death of a parent or sibling by the age of 18. And, you know, the trauma of parental loss has been linked, you know, to several issues involving mental health and, changes within the attachment styles, which mm-hmm. we have touched on, touched on in your class. Of and course. yes, the attachment <laughs> styles, avoidance, anxious and secure, avoidance. Yes, the way one to go. attachment style that is still yet to be discovered. <laughs> um, I, I wrote a paper in college and stated that attachment styles are not just psychologically determined by the biology of the hidden workings of the brain, but Mm. that external factors related to trauma, social dynamic and community play an equal part in the developmental process of attachment. And, you know, with that being said, it's, community plays a huge role and it is a contributing factor in the process of the development of a person. And, um, you know, children are also reticent to talk about the loss, which can lead to significant adverse mental health issues. And, um, you know, obviously, which I'm sure you are aware of the clinical research that has been done that has documented links of early parental death and prolonged parental separations with depression and anxiety disorders. And, you know, this is my hope is that this program and young hearts can touch the lives of these children. And specifically, I want to talk about how children are reticent and that is, that is research. 
that has been documented that children do not talk about the loss and parents sometimes may not encourage that. And I, I, I talked to a grieving family recently and they had stated that they didn't want their children to, you know, express their parents' loss and that it's just expected that we just move on. And, you know, I want to touch. Yeah. And I, I want to touch on that because I think children need to talk about it and express themselves. And I can say that now from my personal experience that not talking about the loss of my mom and not relating and understanding her death has, you know, contributed to some, um, really, you know, just issues within attachment and just in kind of my early twenties, I just, I'm a huge advocate for talking with your children about the loss. Well, you know, along those lines, is there a, is there a right, a right way to talk to children about a loss like that? I don't think there's a right way, but I think talking about it gently with your child and, and, and emotionally um, providing for them during that process, asking them questions, um, bringing up the parent, letting them express themselves, expressing, you know, gymnastics. And I bring this back to the sport because my floor routine was always expressing my personality and expressing who I am. And so I always chose for music that really, um, I guess brought my personality out. And that was my way of expressing myself through my floor routine and my music and dance. And mm, good. I relate, I relate that to this and, you know, children need to express themselves in a way. And if a parent can bring up, you know, memories of the parent and talk about, you know, how are you doing today? Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be a long, serious conversation, but that the child knows that you are there for them and that they feel safe to come to the parent when, or the surviving parent or grandparents or any, any guardian, any guardian, um, yep. at that point. I, so, yeah, I, I- I think you're, you're spot on. Um, I don't work with as many children as I used to. And, you know, there are probably some rules of thumb when it comes to communicating with children um, that probably apply here too. And I would say the most important part is um, this is probably a Montessori concept, but follow the child. And so um, always be available. Um, But with these kind of topics, um, take what they give you and don't force or push, but be open and available. Because one of the dangerous things with these kinds, you know, this kind of bereavement or this kind of loss is uh, when things become, we don't talk about it or won't talk about it, it becomes unspeakable. And then when things become unspeakable, um, then we attach some type of shame or embarrassment to it because we can't talk about it. So the more psychological safety as a parent or an adult you can provide for a child going through something like this, I would say the better. Then the other thing I would say also to compliment, um, you know, art and dance, like you talked about is also amazing. Um, but also like play, um, there's some fundamentals to play therapy that definitely work well with children who are going through the grief cycle, who may not be able to verbally express, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm going through, but they can express and get it out through their play. And that play may include some anger 
and some violence and all kinds of stuff. It's not always going to be flowers and unicorns when we're trying to process grief um, from loss. And so, so there are a lot of different ways to, to be there for children. Um, and you don't have to be a trained expert to do these things. And it's okay, like you were saying earlier, to say, I don't know, and be okay with that. This concludes part one of my interview with founder and president of Young Hearts Kentucky, Danielle Chesney. Join us next week for part two. We'll see you then. Radioshow.com. You can find archive shows and additional details about guests of the show at the show's website, www.paradigmradioshow.com. You can follow weekly one-minute insight posts on the show's Instagram and Twitter feed at Paradigm Radio Show. For archived episodes, you can find episodes wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Insights into Relationships and You is brought to you by Jenkins Professional Services and Hype Media Global. Thank you for tuning into Paradigm. Insights into Relationships and You with Toby Jenkins. Join us again 